Life Real Crime is a true crime podcast brought to you by Woody Overton and executive producer Toby Templey. sexual nature it should be for people that are 18 years or older heed my warning people i do not get the facts of these cases off the internet or from some television show the facts we're retelling you were presented to us by the victims of the crimes or the perpetrators who committed the crimes against the victims my description of the crime scenes are what i saw with my own two eyes If you're going to get offended, please turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. As always, I'm your host, Woody Overton. And today, we're going to continue this series, Monsters, with Monsters Part 8. And y'all have been trying to figure out how to tie this all together at the end because it's a lot of legal stuff. It's going to be different than the rest of the episodes, but you need to know what happened and in the court battles, what happened and how it all ended up. And I'll tell you at the end why I decided to do this episode or these this series, if you will, and what I'm going to do to try to make a change for everybody at the end of it. So I, I, I don't normally use notes. In a lot of today, I won't be using notes, but I do have a lot of legal paperwork. And y'all have known in the past, if you hear me shuffling papers and stuff, well, that's because I want to give it to you straight and give it to you correct. And there's a lot on this. I'm going to be reading some stuff from different things, but I'm also going to be telling you my personal insight on the situation. But before we begin, I want to wish everybody a happy New Year's and... This is the first episode that's being recorded in the year 2021, and I hope you're all staying safe and well, and appreciate and love each and every one of you. Thank you for sharing us and continuing to help us grow. Thank you, patron members, for your support. I really appreciate it, and you patron members who took advantage of the the yearly discount by signing up and paying ahead of the whole year. I appreciate that. And, you know, you don't have to wait for your benefits. And if we owe y'all anything, please let me know. Message me and let me know. Or message Cindy and let her know and we'll get it straight. Also, I had the privilege of speaking with several different 
harassment level patron members this week. Awesome people chatted on the phone, probably a minimum of an hour with each one of them, uh, some of them more. And it was awesome. So thank you. And y'all know who you are. But it, hey, but if you're on the harassment level, set up your appointment to talk to me, man. I'm, I'm, I'm down to earth and I'd love, love, love to chat with you. Stay tuned at the end of the show for some announcements. All right. So let's just get started. And, you know, I'm going to, I'm unscripted and raw and I'm going to be bouncing around. So I think the way I want to do this is tell you what happened with him first and then her. So, you know, we had him under arrest and he was booked in for first degree murder which is in the state of Louisiana, first-degree murder, you're eligible for the death penalty. For to be first-degree murder, there has to be second-degree murder with aggravating circumstances. And the aggravating circumstances in this case were, beyond the brutality of the crime, it is the fact that our victim was over 65 years old. She was in her 80s, and it was a horrible crime. And again, my heart goes out to the family. And y'all, that's why I'm not I'm not calling names and anything like that. And you'll understand when I get done, hopefully today with this episode, if I can get it all done in one. So I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do the names. A lot of y'all already know, and that's fine. Please respect the family's privacy. Lady's been through so much, and this family's been through so much, and we just don't need to re-traumatize them any more than they do living with it every day, okay? So he's under arrest. Last time I spoke to him, it's Thanksgiving Day, directly. It was Thanksgiving Day, and he told me he, he had this great attorney, Arden Wells, and he's going to get manslaughter. I'm just thinking, yeah, whatever, right? So he's locked up for almost six months before we arrested her when the DNA evidence came back. Now, does he sit there quietly? Hell to the no. And, and the court battles start immediately. They challenged everything. They ch now, remember, this is the Super Bowl. The district attorney actually filed the bill of indictment and said, we are seeking the death penalty, period, on this case because it was, it's so horrible. He murdered his mother-in-law and, you know, shot her, shot her in the head and, you know, all the rest of it, right? So, quickly, he doesn't have Arden Wells. I don't know why. Maybe Arden bowed out when he found out what the real facts of the case were. I don't know. But he gets two court-appointed attorneys. And this one, I'm start looking at some notes. But he gets two court-appointed attorneys. Why? Y'all, everybody has a right to a defense, okay? And... I believe in that. I mean, I, I want them to have defense. I, you know, if you can beat me, beat me, right? And and that's that's just part of the deal. But on a death penalty case, they're going to make sure they have at least two attorneys for the original trial. Why? Because everything is going to get challenged. We're, we're going to win the trial. There's no doubt about it. And but if the jury comes back with the verdict of guilty. They are going to death row. Oh, and, and okay, so there's two phases to the trial. You have the trial itself, and if the jury comes back with the verdict of guilty, then 
you have the sentencing phase. Now, the sentencing phase in Louisiana is pretty tough. Both sides will get to put on their arguments of, of for and against the death penalty. His side's going to come out with everything from, you know, the drug use and he was a good guy other than this and maybe he was abused as a kid or whatever they can dig out of his past. Any type of thing that they could try to reach one juror to make him say, well, you know what? This dude was so messed up. We'll just lock him away for the rest of his life and not give him the ultimate penalty, which is the death penalty. Well, shit. You know what? There's a reason they have the death penalty is for cases like this with monsters. Okay. So you want them to have the proper defense for the trial because it's going to get challenged later on. All right. Let's say he's found guilty and then you go to sentencing phase. Sentence phase, the defense does what I told you. Then the prosecution is simply going to get up there and say, hey, he executed her. She was above 65 under Louisiana law. That's an aggravated circumstance, and we believe this case warrants the death penalty. I mean, he is a monster. He not only executed her, he stood above her after beating her and went back and did more dope. And by his own admission, went back and did more dope and heard her gurgling in the blood and uh, goes down there and sees, can't believe she's alive, goes down, gets the, the rifle, comes back, stands above her, click. It doesn't fire, ejects around, click, doesn't fire again. Oh, shit, I got the wrong bullets. Walk back through all the blood, dig, get the right bullets, go back and stand above her and shoot her in, and shoot her in the head like a you wouldn't do a rabid dog, right? So, I mean, it just doesn't get any more damn aggravating than that. But the age certainly is a factor, and the fact that he degrade her after even more after death by trying to make it look like a rape and all that. It's just, it's, you know, I don't believe every case deserves it, but I certainly believe he deserves it. And, but when you do that and the DAs did it formally charged said, yes, we're going for the death penalty against him. When you do that, it's a whole new ball game. And people don't understand that when you, you, when you, are sentenced to death, at least in the state of Louisiana. When you're sentenced to death, it just takes forever. Now, remember Gerald Bordelon's case? He wanted to die, and it still took years. He waived all his appeals, and it still took years, because then the state the state had to find that he was sane and all that, right? I mean, it's just it's craziness. But I, I think the average person stays on death row from 18 to 25 years, and the average cost to put somebody to death is in the millions, millions of dollars. And guess who has to pay for it? It ain't coming out of the state of Louisiana's funds. On a case like this, it's coming out of the pocket of the citizens of the parish of Livingston Parish. Now, you're talking the 18 to 20-something years of appeals that when this happens— the family has to be brought in every time there's a hearing, and they have to live the nightmare over and over and over again. And then there are the cases when they get the death dates, right? So you get your witnesses, the family, and certainly I would want to be there, and they, they show up at the death house, and they go through the thing, and then these assholes get a last-minute stay from the Supreme Court for whatever reason, you know, 
that's being challenged, et cetera. So think about that. You get there and you're ready to see them die and finally have it behind you. And then it gets canceled again. So, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Now, it is much cheaper to house an inmate for the rest of their life. I think it's like, used to be the average was like $28,000 a year. That includes food and medicines and cost of the guards and everything per inmate, right? So 28000 a year, and he was, I think, 49 at the time of the arrest. And so the citizens of Livingston Parish are starting to pay the tab right then, right, from when we picked him up in Allen Parish. And if he lives, and then, look, he's not in the best best of health. He's a, he's a big dude, heart attack waiting to happen and all that. And just certainly, I mean, you know, a long history of, of drug use, et cetera. So how long is he going to live? I don't know. Let's see, 59, 69. Let's say he lives 30 years. Let me do the math on that real quick. 30. If he lives to be... 59, 69, 79, 30 years. If he lives to be 79 in prison, which was, that's pretty old, y'all, in prison years, right? Let's do that. 30 times 28,000. I know some of you math people out there can tell me right off, but I'm not a math guy. Let's say, okay, so it, it would cost $840,000 to house him at Angola Penitentiary for the rest of his life. But as as saying he lives 30 years, 840,000 versus the appeals process, which is going to go on for 18 to 20 years. So you're paying to house them anyway, right? So you got that, that cost no matter what. You're paying to house them 18 to 20 something years or sometimes even longer. Shit, right now they have the moratorium because the attorney general for the state of Louisiana and the governor are fighting over the legality of the drugs used in the execution. So it could go forever. But all that comes at a cost, at a price. Millions and millions and millions of dollars. And who's making the money? The attorneys are. Okay? The defense attorneys are making the money. So when you see these shows in... The original court attorney goes by the wayside. They make their little bit of whatever the, the, the state pays them to defend uh, a death penalty case. But then you, you always see these these attorneys come in. A lot of them are from big firms that donate pro bono so much so much amount a monetary amount every year to doing free work. And I guess it makes them feel good, so they can you know, charge their clients a thousand dollars an hour, and, and they can pat themselves on the back because they're doing a little pro bono work, right? But it still costs filings, and then there's a lot of them that aren't pro bono that somehow these people come up with attorneys or the attorneys take the case because they know they're going to get paid, and and it goes on forever. And then you get the different projects, like the Innocent Project or whomever involved. And look, I'm not saying they shouldn't have appeals, okay, if it, I don't want to put an innocent person to death. And certainly there have been cases that are proven through DNA, et cetera, where the person is innocent. And I hate that. I hate those. I hate to watch those shows. I hate to see it. And I don't, I don't, I don't hate the fact that they're innocent. I hate the fact that they've been innocent all this time and locked up and their life has been stolen from them. And that makes me sick to my stomach. I pray to God that I never had one. But I can tell you something. 
This some bitch wasn't one of them. Okay, but he's gonna get those twenty years of appeals, and it's gonna cost millions and millions and millions of dollars. Meanwhile, you're housing him, you're feeding him. He's got the best medical care, and 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 it's just I don't know, I don't know. So right away, they start the legal wrangling. Uh, of course, we were challenged on. The confession. We coerced the confession. You have to go in, and well, we did a grand jury, y'all, and the grand jury finds uh, uh, the true bill for first degree murder, even though we had the the warrant arrest and all that. That because it's second degree above, you've got to go before the grand jury. It's just the way it is, and present the case all over again, and the grand jury indicts them. Boom, we got the the indictment, first degree murder. So we did that part, but then the challenges start. The challenging to throw out our confession. We coerce the confession. We, you know, call you everything but a child of God on the stand. Well, it's bullshit. We didn't. It, it, you know, it happened to the best of my memory. It happens just like I told you. And he's he's guilty AF, right? And he confessed and he wanted to talk. So that was uphill. You know, then. They challenged, they, this is funny. It's not funny. It's kind of stupid, but so Livingston Parish, whenever you get arrested, you, there's a, a judge that is allotted to be on duty that day or, or not on duty that day. What, whenever you get arrested, whoever gets arrested in a certain time frame, your case gets allotted to a judge by, it's by lottery. Right. So you don't know what judge you're going to get until they pick the judges that are going to handle the cases for that day. So, but I could tell you right now, Charlotte, at the time, her name was Charlotte Abair. She was the shit hot ADA that handled all the big cases. Now, the district attorney, Scott Perlew, didn't handle those cases. He was, he was a public figurehead. Certainly, he had a say-so in him, and he's a super intelligent guy, and he would come sit in on the trials and stuff like that. But Charlotte was the workhound. Charlotte was the beast. Charlotte was the one who got all the convictions and handle all the major cases. And you've heard me talk about her many, many times, and she's actually a judge now. But her brother was a judge at the time, and and, and he, he's a great judge. I mean, he was more than fair. I mean, I've seen him eat plenty of cops out, and, but if you were guilty, shit, you didn't want to go in front of him. So let me tell you what they did. I'm going to read you an article from The Morning Advocate, all right? Judge Doug Hughes, now that was Charlotte Abair's brother, okay? Abair was her married name at the time. Judge Doug Hughes of the 21st Judicial District on Monday rejected a defense motion to recuse the district attorney's office in a first-degree murder case where Hughes' sister is the lead prosecutor, prosecution and defense attorney said. Hughes' decision comes less than two weeks after another District Court judge in the same case rejected District Attorney Scott Perlew's motion to have Hughes recused because of the family tie. All right, so I'm going to interrupt you. Scott Perlew, the district attorney, wanted to make sure, he filed a motion to make sure Doug Hughes did not get the case because he, I mean, obviously that can be something that's going, he was trying to avoid appeal down the line. And hell, there's enough judges where Doug, Judge Doug didn't have to be on the case. Scott basically 
is saying Charlotte's going to be my go-to person. We don't want any kind of impropriety or, or bad act looking things. So we're going to roll with it. Okay. So Scott had actually filed a motion to have judge Doug Hughes removed. And on that motion on March 1st, judge Ernest Drake jr. Another great guy, more than fair and in both ways, but he ruled against the district attorney's motion saying he didn't like the appearance of a district attorney having influence on the random allotment of elected judges. Paralu is planning to appeal that decision. Again, Paralu was going to appeal it because he knows it's going to come up after the conviction on appeals. All right, back to the article. The legal dispute is part of the preliminary motions in the first degree murder case against our guy, 49 years old of Watson. He is accused of killing his mother-in-law in November. And I'm leaving his name out, y'all. He has been indicted on the charge and pleaded not guilty. January 8th, court records show prosecutors are seeking the death penalty. He has also been booked but not formally charged with two counts of felony theft and possession of cocaine, prosecutors said. On Monday, Hughes was prepared to disqualify his sister, Paris prosecutor Charlotte Hebert. When defense attorney Albert Benzabat III objected, saying he wanted the entire district attorney's office recused. Hughes took a closer look at the defense pleading before deciding to reject the motion. Attorneys Ben Sabat and Hebert said, the motion called for the office's recusal, but not Hebert's disqualification, they said, and Hughes rejected the defense, <laughs> the defense motion on recusal. All right, let me finish the article and I'll explain it to you. Benzbat said after the hearing that he wants the entire office recused because Abair has been involved in the case from the early stages and therefore the office is tainted. Benzbat said he plans to file a separate motion to seek Abair's disqualification. When Hughes ruling, Abair said, with Hughes ruling, Abair said she remains on the case. Another hearing has been set for 1 p.m. May the 7th. All right. So let me explain it to you. And again, it's all legal wrangling. All right. So our own district attorney wanted to take Judge Doug Hughes, who's who's his top prosecutor's brother, out of the allotment to be drawn for who was going to sit in judgment on this case as the judge on this case. Judge Ernest Drake is another great but hard ass guy comes back and he's tells the district attorney, no, I don't like you having influence on who's randomly allotted by our system to handle the cases. I told you he's fair, but he's hard, right? But then Ben Sabat comes in and files to have the whole district attorney's office recused because Charlotte was going to be the lead DA. He, he filed to have the whole office removed. He didn't say Charlotte specifically. He wants the whole office removed because Judge Hughes is in the pool to be allotted, to be drawn, and could possibly be drawn to sit to hear this case. But he didn't. He wasn't smart enough, old Ben Sabat, to list Charlotte specifically. But you, it just so happens that Judge Hughes, Charlotte's brother, 
is the one who is hearing Benzabat's motion to have the whole district attorney's office thrown out. And Judge Hughes is fair, and he says, well, you know what? You didn't say anything about Charlotte. You just only said you wanted the the whole DA's office recused. And you didn't say anything about Charlotte specifically, and she's going to be one handling a case, so mm, I'm just denying your shit, right? So, y'all, this is just the tip of the iceberg, beginning of the legal wranglings, okay? And it does not look like we're going to make it to her today because I'm getting long-winded. I think I, I can read you this part. All right, I'm going to read you this one. This is also from an advocate. It's talk about where we arrested her, okay, and, and him also. But you need to know this, the legal wrangling that's going on. So it said we arrested her on Wednesday and booked her with first-degree murder of her 82-year-old grandmother in November. The victim's son-in-law, 49, of Watson, already is in jail in connection with the slaying of our victim who lived in his house in Watson. Evidence indicates she, who's 39, was present during the killing. Jason R., Chief of Operations for the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office, said shortly after her arrest. Detectives previously interviewed her in the case, and she gave conflicting statements, Ard said. However, detectives delayed arresting her until Wednesday. Investigators didn't take her into custody until they had received a report from the state police crime lab showing she was at the scene of her grandmother's murder, Ard said. Authorities said that evidence indicates the victim, I'm not going to say her name, may have been killed after she stumbled upon evidence of drug use by him. She is his stepdaughter, and the biological granddaughter of, I want to say the victim, R said, he left the Watson area. Anyway, that part's cut off, and we know basically he he left the Watson area and drove away in a company vehicle with $3,600 in cash belonging to the lumber company where he worked, deputy said. Officials with the district attorney's office have indicated they plan to seek the death penalty against him, but said they have not made a decision on whether to seek the same penalty for her. A question about how to proceed with his case is before the state First Circuit Court of Appeals. The matter went to the higher court because Doug Hughes, the 21st Judicial District Court judge, randomly selected to hear the case is the brother of Assistant District Attorney Charlotte Abair. The prosecutor and the district attorney's office asked for Judge Doug Hughes to be dismissed from an involvement in the case. District Attorney Scott Perilou asked the Judge Hughes to be removed from the case and that his office be allowed to proceed with the prosecution. Judge Ernest Drake Jr. rejected the district attorney's motion to recuse Hughes, a decision Perilou has appealed. Drake, who was assigned to the hearing to hear the prosecutor's motion after Hughes declined to step aside, has not considered the defense motion to keep district attorney's office from handling the prosecution. At this point, no judge has been selected to hear the case against her, Abair said Wednesday evening. 
All right, so I might have got this too backwards, y'all, but it doesn't matter. You get the gist of the facts. We're not even into the, the legal wrangling yet, and we're already at the First Circuit Court of Appeals. So J- Judge Hughes was randomly selected from the allotment. Paralu, rightfully so, the district attorney files to have him removed. Judge Drake comes back and says, no, I don't want you to have any involvement on gets on who gets selected to hear cases. And so Paralu appeals it, goes to the First Circuit of Court. Then you get Ben Zabat who comes in and wants the whole DA's office kicked out. It's just a bunch of bullshit, okay? It's a bunch of bullshit, and that's just the start. Remember that it wouldn't be this way if it wasn't death penalty case, all right? So what I'm going to do, I'm going to finish him out today, y'all. I'm going to finish him out today because I have a lot on her, and it needs to be told, and I just can't do it all in one day. There's no way. Sorry. It's going to be a part nine. I just made that decision. All right, so... We go through the legal wranglings. It comes back down. Finally, there is a judge. I'll save you a lot of time on on that part, okay? It goes on and it goes on and it goes on. And the court comes back down and says that, and rightfully so, that Hughes should not sit in. This should not be the sitting judge on the case because his sister is the lead prosecutor. Okay, shit, we get that. Um, That's what the district attorney wanted anyway. But they, they did select another judge to hear the case. And that was Judge Brenda Bedsoe Ricks, all right? Judge Ricks, fireball. She's a pistol. And and she I, I have nothing to say bad about any of the judges in, in the 21st Judiciary, y'all. And I've, and I've had, you know, battles with all of them, but I've had great things with all of them, too. And I can tell you one thing. I'm sure some of y'all out there don't like some of them for whatever reason. They convicted you for whatever, but I've seen it go both ways. I've seen it go against the cops. I've seen it go for the cops. I've seen it go against the prosecution. I've seen it go for the prosecution. And, you know, judges, human beings also. But Judge Ricks, uh, she was no nonsense. She's, uh, I hope you don't take offense, Judge Ricks, but she's a little short lady with dark hair, and and she had been a judge as long as I, I didn't with the mess with the 21st. So you, but you couldn't ask for a fair judge. I mean, she just, she just was. Okay. So the legal wrangling goes on and I want to close y'all out with him. Okay. So I, I would, by this time, y'all, I, I'm long gone to the state police as a criminal investigator. I left on November 1 of 2007 and Remember, we got her just that year in May, right? So um, I was at headquarters in Baton Rouge. I would get subpoenas to come into these hearings in case they needed to call me as a witness for whatever. A lot of times I was sequestered, meaning I had to stay outside and couldn't hear what was going on, what they were arguing. That way, my opinion wasn't biased and I couldn't repeat something another witness said or whatever. But it's just a ton of shit, right? And it goes on and on. I'm talking about both hers and his. But his specifically, he's up against the death penalty and in 2009, years after he murdered her, after he murdered her victim, they're getting ready to go to trial, to take the shit to trial. And guess what? The offer was made to him to take life in prison instead of the death penalty. 
not because it wasn't a slam dunk case because you don't get a more slam dunk case than what we had at this time. I'm just telling you, it was slam dunk, death penalty all the way. I, I, I don't see how any sane person would sit on that jury after finding guilty and seeing the crime scene photos and hearing all the evidence and the horrific story. I mean, it was his mother-in-law, his wife's mother that that is shot in the head, okay? Because he's wearing women's underwear and doing cocaine and fooling around and just didn't happen to hear her coming down the hallway on a walker. Keep all that in mind. And and I mean, he's a piece of shit to begin with. Now, I got to explain this to you, and this is why we're gonna have to go into a, a, another part on her. They don't. The district attorney would never make that decision by himself. It's not like he's gonna be like, oh well, you know. We could take the death penalty off the table and, and, and give them a chance to plead to life so we don't go to trial. Nope, 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 nope. It's not about that. It's about the family, okay? Think of the victim's daughter, the female suspect's mother, and the wife to the trigger puller, okay, all right? She has been through hell, and her other sons and daughters also, and, and family members and friends. But she lost everything the day they murdered our victim, all right? She lost her mama and her elderly, sweet, heart of gold mama to the worst circumstances I have ever seen in a single murder. And she's the one that found her. And that son of a bitch knew he was gonna, she was gonna be the one to find her. He knew his wife, the one he stood at the altar with, and through sickness and health and the good times and bad, and you know all that bullshit, professed his love for, and I'm gonna take care of you and everything else. He is a piece of shit, and drug use or not. You messing around with your with your daughter and well, I guess stepdaughter. It's not daughter-in-law. So you mess around with I don't care what you call it. It's your daughter. You mess around with your daughter. You doing dope. You in your women's underwear, and you the elderly victim comes down and sees you, and then what does she do? She freaks out. I'm calling your wife. I'm calling your mother. And, you know, think about the last seconds of her life. Just, you know, I oftentimes think about my victims in the last seconds of their life. And I do not believe that she thought for a second that they would kill her. You know, think about that. I, she All she could do was she was worried about getting back down the hallway because they blocked her. She couldn't get to the kitchen. She's worried about getting back down the hallway, getting to her phone, and calling her daughter and saying what she saw. She didn't know she was going to be beaten like that, just just absolutely mutilated, and then left for dead. And then all that blood in the hallway, y'all, and, and, and him going down there because he heard a noise and seeing that she was still alive, saying, I can't believe a bitch ain't dead. And when got the gun, and I, I know I keep saying it over and over again, but it just shows you how cold and calculated and determined he is that he went down there with the wrong bullets, tried, tried again, and then said, shit, 
got the wrong bullets, walked back through the blood, dug for the right bullets, and went back down there and then shot her in the head. Fuck him. And the, he deserves the death penalty. But now our victim's daughter, his wife, lost her mama and her husband in that day. And then six months later, she loses her daughter. Nightmare all over again. And that's why I'm not saying the names on this. The, those of you who know, don't do post about it. All right. The, she's been traumatized enough. But let me tell you something. This lady's tough. And she's a Christian lady. And she is just what I remember. She's stoic, tough. I mean, how do you go on living after that? You know, you lose your mama and your husband in the same day, and six months later, you find out your own daughter, your own flesh and blood you gave birth to, with, with, and all that involvement that she had. So the DA would have gone to the family, or the family would have gone to the DA. I don't know which happened. Probably, I think the family, they, they always have meetings with them, and they have a victim's advocate and stuff like that. that uh, stays in touch with the family of, of violent crimes like this and, and until all the way through the trial process and even during the appeals. So at some point they would have had a meeting to discuss the options and Scott the, the, and Charlotte would have had to tell him you know, and say, hey, look, here are the possibilities. One, we go to trial and we lose. Not going to happen, right? But he's got to list all the possibilities. Two, we go to trial and we win and then we do the penalty phase and he gets the death penalty. Three, we go to trial and we win and we go to penalty phase and he doesn't get the death penalty. He just gets life in prison. And, uh, they drop it a second degree murder. Okay, but then he has to explain the appeals process, which most people just don't know how many years that shit goes on. You know, 20 years on average, a lot more in most cases, and but I had to explain it to this poor lady who has lost everything and now knows her daughter was involved, and then he has to tell them, you know, when and during this process, all these appeals and these hearings, I'm gonna need y'all there to show the judge that the family cares and and. You know, you want to go through the death penalty process. And look, shit, there's a lot of families that do it. They don't care. Then they're like, shit, we'll be there. And and we don't care how long it takes. But he said the other option is we give him the option to take the death penalty off the table and just give him life in prison, which he's going to die, y'all. It's still a death sentence, Okay. Life in Louisiana means life. There's no probation, no parole. You don't even get a parole here. And you waive. When you, if you take the death penalty off the table and you sign it, you can't even appeal your shit. You're done. That 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 is what you get for not being put to death or, or having to sit on death row. You waive your right to appeals. You are done. Stick a fork in you. And I, th I think that after explaining it in detail to the family that that they, I mean, they didn't make the decision right then, y'all. I know that much. They, they prayed upon it and they thought about it and they had another meeting and the victim's daughter said, you know what, make him the offer. And, and as long as he's locked away and he can't hurt anybody else and 
They know what he did, what he's in for. It won't be easy time for him. And we can put this behind us, not put it behind you. You'll never put the murder, your husband murdering your mother and your daughter being involved. You'll never put that behind you fully, right? You're going to live with it every day. But you don't have to keep going back to court. I mean, I mean until hell, she might die before he does because the state's going to take good care of him. And on, that's the one thing on death row, they take care of him, boy. They, they want to make sure you're healthy to put your ass to death. Like Derek Todd Lee, you know, fortunately, the fires of hell burn hotter for him. He died on death row, but which is a rare occasion. But anyway, so she made the decision to let the DA make him the offer of if we take the death penalty off the table, you have to plead to guilty to second degree murder. You waive all your rights to appeals, et cetera, but you're going to stand up and you're going to say what you did. And it, he knew this good goose was cooked, okay? And then and that his defense attorney would absolutely advise him, you better take this and run with it because guess what? His defense attorney had access to everything I had access to, the photographs, the statements, the, you know, everything. And, and the the behavior. And don't think it wasn't coming out about him. You, you, th- you think... The squash thing is like funny and shit, but guess what? It may be it may be the butt of jokes, but when you go to a jury trial and you go to the penalty phase and, and you get twelve jurors up there who are regular Joes who don't you know, most of them don't listen to true crime and not not true crime, right? But most of them don't watch the stuff because they don't wanna they're sheep. They don't wanna believe there's wolves in the world but guess what you get stuck on that jury you're gonna get the full wolf view and they would have seen every photograph blown up they would heard the the forensic pathologist tell everything they would have heard everything from him saying that he used a squash and dressed up in in the big blue panties and and did hookers every night and did cocaine while he was on the run I mean that that goes, and and his his attorney would have been like, "Hey, mother, if the, if they didn't just have you on the DNA and your own confession, it, I mean, if I was on the, the jury deciding the death part, and you tell me after you murdered her in cold blood like that, did you partied every night and were doing hookers with squash and wearing women's underwear? Uh, uh-uh. uh, no, no, regular people can't handle that shit." They were run screaming from the room. You damn well better believe they're coming back with the death penalty. And I, I can't tell you his his defense attorney told him this, but I can damn well imagine it, right? I mean, everything that that the doing your 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 own daughter, even if it's by marriage, doing cocaine with her, and in I mean, it's just he'd have got it. I'm telling y'all, he'd have got it. So. They made him the offer, and he jumped on that bitch with both feet like he stole something, okay? And and I'm going to read you the article, and then I'll tell you what, what I remember about that day. All right, this is from uh, The Morning Advocate. 
A state district judge sentenced a Watson man to life in prison Tuesday in the beating and shooting more than two years ago of his 82-year-old mother-in-law after she caught him shooting up cocaine. Judge Brenda Bedsole Ricks of the 21st Judicial District Court handed down the sentence after he, 51, pleaded guilty to first-degree murder at the parish courthouse Tuesday. November 15, 2006, our victim, they gave her name, was beaten and shot in the head with a 22 caliber rifle in his house where she also lived, prosecutors have alleged in court records. He, who has told investigators she walked in on him while he was using cocaine and threatened to tell his then-wife, fled, but was caught and arrested November 22, 2006. As part of a plea agreement, he signed January 30th. Prosecutors agreed not to seek the death penalty. J. Garrison Jordan, his court-appointed defense attorney, told Judge Ricks. When Ricks asked him to explain what he was pleading to, he replied, I killed, and he said her name. I'm guilty of that. A first-degree murder charge requires an aggravating circumstance. In this case, the fact that she was 65 or older. His life sentence is at hard labor and comes without probation, parole, or suspension of sentence, Ricks told him. That's Judge Ricks. Shortly before sentencing, two of the victim's daughters, including his ex-wife, and they gave her name, gave tearful victim impact statements, emphasizing the loss and sense of betrayal from the actions of a man who once professed that he was a Christian. You used to say, and I quote, you can't con a con, and I'm the best. That is the only thing I know you said is the truth, said his wife, who divorced him in June of 2007. He wore a hearing aid during sentencing and could be seen wiping his eyes on several occasions. Assistant District Attorney Charlotte Hebert, who prosecuted the case, said the plea avoids the need for the victim's family to go through a trial. Prosecutors have one other trial in the victim's slain. Her granddaughter and his stepdaughter, and gives her name, 41, was arrested in May of 2007 and now faces a second-degree murder charge. She was present when the victim was killed, prosecutors said and has told investigators she and him were having a sexual relationship. End of the article. Y'all, your patron members, you get this. Please don't repeat the, the names that you heard in there. And I don't care if you Google or whatever. I don't want this to go viral on on and social and all that. But let me tell you what happened that day. The uh, I knew I, I got a phone call in... I've been state police for several years by now, and that. Um, but I kept getting asked by one of the secretaries 
at, at headquarters, and she was friends with her before the, the murder. And and anyway, I'll get into that next week. But she kept asking me about the status case, status case. I said, I don't know. And I mean, I went to several hearings on it early on. I know they're going for the death penalty, and he's going to get it. They're going to cook his goose, right? And But then I got the call that they, they were going to take the plea, and I went just to hear the uh, the victim's impact statements. I wanted to show my support for the family. And they, it was it was bad. Look, they talk about uh, our victim's life and how she was a foster mama and how she never heard a fly and she spent her life giving and loving and just doing for others and not herself and basically a saint, y'all. And she had been sick and she had had um, some small strokes and, I mean, there was no way she could defend herself. And, now you, you know, they're standing up in front of the court. It's dead silent. This is their chance. They've been living with this for three years now. And this is their chance to address the judge before she sentences him, right? And they laid it out. And the shit, it wasn't a dry in the courtroom, including mine. And this fat fucking slob, let me, let me tell you this. They bring him in now. Once he takes the, um, if he had gone to trial, they'd have brought him in in street clothes, you know, a suit, not handcuffed before the jury and all that, before they bring the jury in and all that. So he'd have been all dolled up. Well, guess what? He took it because he's a little punk bitch. And he didn't want to get the death penalty and he knew he was going to get it. So they bring him in in his jumpsuit, big fat slob, handcuffed and shackled, big thick glasses on. Now he's got hearing aids on, right? Now, all of a sudden, he can't hear anymore. Uh, they were actually, they brought that up way back when, but uh, saying he couldn't hear and, and shit like that. Well, guess what? Guess who's paying for the hearing aid? Us and um, the taxpayers. But he damn well heard them, the, the family members give the victim impact statements and a little bit of wiping his eyes. It, that's fucking bullshit what that reporter said he oh yeah he did it and but he wasn't sobbing uncontrollably or anything like that and when he got up there and the judge said okay part of your plea is you're gonna tell the court is it what you did and he said i'm guilty of killing and he said the victim was saying he said i did that he wasn't crying when he said it y'all and and when my personal belief is he's tearing up a couple times or fake tearing up a couple times because he knows his con man ass game is up, especially when his wife, ex-wife called him out and said, you always said you can't con a con and that you were the best. Well, guess what, bitch? You con game's up. You're riding out. You're going to die in prison. So, But he had to say what he had to say first, that he, that he killed her victim that he was guilty of it. The victim impact statements were just absolutely gut-wrenching and some of the strongest family members I've ever seen. Again, that's why I don't want it out there. But I, there is a reason I'm doing this story, and you got to hear it next week when I conclude with her. I did not mean to go into a part nine. Y'all going to have a shit fit, I'm sure. But it's a lot, and it's so important. It's the reason I'm doing this, and it'll come out next week. But he sat there and, you know, wouldn't look at him because he's a little bitch. And, and 
you know, they read their statements and the, and the judge sentenced them. She said, I sent you to life without the possibility of probation or parole at hard labor at Angola, Louisiana State Penitentiary at Angola, gavel down. And, you know, the family leaves and that part of their misery is over. That monster is going to the land of monsters. And, and he's going to the place you don't want to go, right? And I, I told you to Angola, well over 5,000 inmates and over, you don't get sent to Angola unless you have get sentenced to more than 80 years. And over 5,500 inmates, well over 5,000 have more, or at least one life sentence, if not more. So he's going to die there. And I don't know if he's alive now. Fuck him if he isn't. And, uh, fuck him. And I hope, I hope he's doing a hard time. So, because he he's a, he was a monster, and he is a monster, and he can run whatever kind of con he wants to run on those people up there, but he'll always be a monster. Just think about all the facts of the case. Anyway, next week I'm gonna conclude it with her. So it's a lot on the legal part. I just touched on his, y'all, because, I mean, there was no doubt. And and he hadn't had any appeals or anything. He waived his right to all that shit. So her, ooh, different story. And again, if you think you know, you just don't know. And there's no way you can know because I didn't find out until right before I started this series. So tune in again. Next week, for the conclusion, I guess it'll be part nine of Monsters, and I swear it's the last part. I have all the paperwork right here in front of me, and it's pages and pages and pages, and I cannot do this. It's going to take me at least an hour to conclude her. I thank you all for listening. I love and appreciate each and every one of you. Please keep the victims' family, all victims' families, in your prayers, all right? And Courtney Coco. We're waiting on justice. Okay? That's all I'm going to say about it. But not going to wait forever. And Miss Barbara Blunt's case, please continue to call on your tips. The reason I mention her every week is because every time I mention her name, we get another tip. All right? So but that case is being worked by dedicated professionals when they have time. COVID has a screwed so screwed up and with the new strands coming out and more contagious and you know the vaccines supposed to have been 20 million by january 1 they got 2 million done this is such shit but the live shows y'all we still have the live show the crew bash is booked and and i'm I'm gonna wait a couple days or wait to see what how this uh, virus thing is going to shake out but regardless two weeks if this date doesn't come first, two weeks after John Bell Edwards says the state of Louisiana is fully lifted on restrictions and go back to the normal functions, we are going to have the mother of all parties, the second annual crew bash. And we got a lot of stuff to celebrate. So love and appreciate each and every one of you patron members. Thank you again. You're getting this episode hopefully on Tuesday. Everybody else, if you can't be a patron member, you don't want to. I get it. I, I, love you know love and appreciate you anyway 
Y'all please continue to leave me reviews on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget about all our social media at Real Life Real Crime and at Overton Woody on, on Instagram. And then we have all our Facebook pages. And I think our, our, um, our Real Life Real Crime friends, fans, and crews is pushing like pushing 29,000 members now. It's close to that. And so, but yeah, if you like true crime and you like real life, real crime, go ask to join and our dream team moderators will get you approved. I'm on there every day. I answer everything. Uh, and then we have all the rest of social media. All so much. I just, you know, I just forget, please continue to share and help us grow. I, I thank you for that. Hang in there. I'll conclude monsters next week. Lopa, Louisiana, Oregon procurement agency. Be a hero. Go to lopa.org. Sign up to be an organ donor. If on the rare chance that, that your organs are used, you're going to save lives. Save lives and give the gift of sight. Okay? That's my cause. And one person goes and does it, and it, it'll be worth you hearing it every week. And that's how I'm going to end the show. And... I'm Woody Overton, your host of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And until next time or ever, don't let me catch you down on murder by you. Peace. Real Crime is a true crime podcast brought to you by Woody Overton and executive producer Toby Template.